Welcome to Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Snell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, welcome to Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. And my co-host today is Willie Hicks. Hi, Willie. Hey, how's it going today? It's going great. So today we're going to talk policy. And policy is tough to navigate. Like we're going to dive into the new executive order on artificial intelligence. And it is it is a big document. Can you even call it a document? It's like 112 pages. So there's a lot to navigate there. But fortunately today, Willie, we have Ross Noderft, who is an expert on policy. Hi, Ross. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. So I'm just going to give a little bit of your background, Ross. Um, You are the executive director of the Alliance for Digital Innovation, ADI. ADI is a coalition of technology companies focused on bringing commercial cloud-based solutions to the public sector. And ADI focuses on promoting policies that enable IT modernization, cybersecurity, smarter acquisition, and workforce development. So prior to joining ADI, you spent several years working with industry partners on technology and cybersecurity policy and several years in government, both in the executive and legislative branches, including Chief of the Office of Management and Budgets, OMB the cyber team at the White House. So you really are an authority on policy. Um, and I'm I'm glad there's, you know, there are people in the world like you that find this interesting <laughs> and, and that can break it down for us. So I want to start off with FedRAMP authorization. I mean, FedRAMP is like, it's a must have for cloud technologies. We've been sitting comfortably, I think, like the standard has been FedRAMP moderate. Is that still the case? Are we trending up? What's going on there? Sure. So, I mean, I, I think it's important for you, for, for listeners to, to understand when we say we've been sitting at FedRAMP moderate, what that, what that means. So FedRAMP, Federal Risk Management uh, and Authorization Program, was set up about December of 2011, so over a decade ago. And the goal was to manage the uh, accreditation of cloud infrastructure. So if you think about when we were back then, we were just moving workloads into an infrastructure environment that needed more compute power. So we had to figure out how to do that. There weren't a ton of providers out there, and we had to figure out how to do that in a way that that created a, a managed risk approach for the federal agencies that would bring it on board. Um, since that time, cloud has exploded. And what we have seen is, you know, kind of a a set number of major, major infrastructure providers, not to say everybody's an infrastructure provider, but, you know, and then we've moved to platforms. So areas that people can build different applications on. And then we've moved on top of that to SaaS applications. So right now we're at the point where people are existing in thin clients that have access to targeted applications, but the backend compute power is kept somewhere else. It's just a completely different world that we're in architecturally. Um, and FedRAMP has not moved. 
it has not evolved, right? So a program that was meant to take a deep look at uh, cloud infrastructure providers as a new service has not evolved to meet the need and the pipeline of SaaS applications that are basically taking over the compute environment. So um, moderate, when you say moderate, that means that's the baseline of security controls. So you've got low, moderate, and high. Um, you know, a few security controls, I'd say a, a, a good amount of security controls, more than a good amount of security controls, and a whole heck of a lot of security controls. So low, moderate, and high. Uh, and, and moderate was where people traditionally went from an authorization standpoint, meaning like the person who was selling into the government, uh, an application provider, an infrastructure provider, met a certain number of controls at that moderate level. Uh, and the agency reviewed the documentation saying, yep, you met all those controls, we're gonna check the box. You can come into our environment. Well, as more and more people have moved more and more systems into those uh, cloud environments, they've gone from systems that probably were less risky because that's the stuff you put into something that's unknown first to systems that are more risky. And as we've gone and moved and migrated more stuff into the cloud environments and are using more applications to interact with those data sets, those systems that are governed by that, people are looking at the security controls saying, like, maybe I want to mi mi migrate a little bit from moderate to high. Maybe I want to add a few more security controls. Maybe it's moderate tailored with a few more. Maybe it's FedRAMP high. And what you do when you step from moderate to high is all of a sudden you're now in an ecosystem where you only interact with other cloud applications, especially to manage your services that are at that high level. So that's what I'm seeing right now is it's not it's not like a, a bull rush to high, but people are going from moderate to high and they're doing it as they adopt more and more cloud services. So Long-winded answer, but that's what I'm seeing. So the moderate addresses what we looked like, what our environments looked like maybe five years ago, three years ago? I would say there was a lot of moderate. I would say uh, three to five years ago is fair. I think in the last, probably since the pandemic, that accelerated a lot of cloud adoption. Yeah. And it accelerated a lot of uh, application consumption. So moving really from platform to SaaS and everybody using commercial SaaS solutions to meet the needs that were thrust upon them in the wake of the pandemic and people working from home, at least in the enterprise environment. All right. So so that FedRAMP High addresses those SaaS security needs and that that move, like you said, that the pandemic caused for us to all get into the cloud. Moderate just didn't deal with a lot of the things, a lot of the security needs that come with moving to the cloud. Did I get well, that right? Well, I think that that uh, when you move more sensitive workloads into the clouds, mm. so your personal HR data, think your um, interacting on a mission level where you have to have um, things that could move markets, right? So USDA, for instance, would move some of the work that they're doing into, into the cloud that wasn't traditionally cloud-based that, you know, maybe they move the commodities market with the publication of a spreadsheet. Well, they want to protect that a little bit more. So as they move some of the more sensitive data sets and systems into cloud environments because people are working remotely, mm -hmm. they people are deciding to step up and use FedRAMP High to protect the systems that govern uh, those mission sets. And um, so I was going to jump in real quick, uh, just ask a question if I could, Carolyn. 
um, because it, it seems, um, you know, that's this is kind of what I'm hearing from our customers, too. And, and I think Carolyn knows I, I don't often get in and talk a lot about uh, just kind of our platform and product. But um, I, I have seen a lot um, from our prospects and our customers where moderate, it's, to your point, has been um, uh, has been OK. Um, it's been more than acceptable, but I'm starting to see, and it's, it's really fascinating where, you know, you're getting, um, I guess, more and more comfort. And maybe it was COVID. I didn't think about it until you said it, but maybe it was COVID where people started to figure out, oh, we can start moving these workloads into the cloud where you get um, agencies. And, and I'm just going to call out, um, you know, and, and not saying that they're, you know, what they're moving to the cloud or not. But even if you think about someone like um, department, like uh, uh education or, or federal student aid, when you're starting to move like workloads maybe to the cloud that might even have information like, you know, that might have sensitive information about people, students, um, um, constituents with those kinds of, of data. Be, I'm not even thinking about PHI type data, but, you know, it, it could be or PI, it could be PI data that that could get into that sensitive high security realm too, what I, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I, the trend... The trend's not going away either. Mm-hmm. Cloud is cloud is functional. It's useful. It supports new technology. It is managed in a lot of ways for you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, look, the trade association that I run, uh, the Alliance for Digital Innovation, we are doing everything we can to clear the pathway for agencies to access more of that technology, right? We think it's net good. People gain efficiencies, people gain security. And that's what that's what we're doing. So that's a trend we're seeing, and that's the trend we want to continue to see, to be honest. It, and if I could just follow up with one more question, and, and I don't want to stay too too long here, Carolyn, but it just kind of, I just thought about this. You know, um, and from your association standpoint, um, I'm sure you're helping towards this, but, you know, when you start thinking about more and more agencies moving high base, uh, more secure workloads to the cloud and needing that higher baseline, I remember, you know, just getting our moderate. Um, uh, authorization was an expensive proposition. And now looking at high and some of these other ones, these are extremely expensive propositions. Uh, You know, how, what is the, what are agencies doing? What is the the PMO doing to try to, you know, make this as, it's important work. I mean, we, it it should be a burden to do because, you know, to to bring this kind of security, it's not going to come, you know, free, but also we want to make it so um, more and more providers and industry can actually participate in this without having to to shell out millions of dollars to to become FedRAMP, to maintain it. I mean, is are there any movements there to kind of make this more, you know, easier to to kind of meet this baseline? Yeah. So I will say that there are there is an active policy discussion happening today around FedRAMP. They are, the office management budget is, is taking a look at the program and reauthorizing it. Um, first time since its inception in December of uh, 2011, I believe. That's, that's going to enable the discussion that you're talking about, right? So one of the main clauses in the policy, and it's a pretty robust policy, covers a lot of things, is the presumption of adequacy clause, meaning uh, there's been a traditional concern that ATOs from different agencies aren't equal or considered the same and that the process is you know, very risk determinant based on the agency's uh, process and the, frankly, um, adeptness of the people running the process, right? So 
and they're trying to dispel that, which would ha- which will help. In addition, they are broadening the or they are enabling the PMO to find different pathways for authorization. And what that would do is allow for more security products and services to go through the process, same process, faster. The final thing that I think gets to your point is uh, they they said is they're one of their kind of opening preamble baselines of thought, right? This is kind of how they're thinking about it is we need to stop requiring companies or building processes that require companies to have their own completely separate net or architected environment. We want commercial entities to sell commercially built and designed solutions into the federal government. We need to figure out how to get there. And we are going to enable the FedRAMP PMO. We own B, the White House is going to enable the FedRAMP PMO, the people who own and run the uh, program, to figure that out. We need to you know, update the way that we're doing security controls. We need to take a hard look at what accreditations we're accepting and uh, offering reciprocity to, right? We need to think about how we're approaching this environment, this growing, uh, vibrant environment of of possibility and say, how do we open the doors to access more of those those solutions uh, in a way that's cost effective enough for folks to want to do business with the federal government while not deprecating security. Mm. But that's, uh, that's, that's the policy discussion that's happening right now today. And ADI is actively involved in it. I'm really glad you brought it up, Willie. And I'm glad to hear what you're saying, Ross, because we hear all the time from government leaders that there has to be more, better, faster partnership between government and industry, that it has to be, we have to be working together. And authorizations like this can really become major hurdles, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's refreshing to hear that it's being addressed. So speaking of another major hurdle, let's talk about AI. <laughs> um, specifically, the first thing I want to talk about is the recent executive order um, around AI. I want to get your thoughts on it. It's massive, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode. Is 112 pages, I feel like I've heard you say, Ross. 111. Yep. 111. Yeah. Yeah. So massive. Um, I'd like to get your standouts from the order. What makes it different? Well, it's really, it's the first one of its kind, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So talk to us about it. Sure. Sure. So uh, a couple of things. One, the AI executive order is, I mean, I am not familiar with an executive order that's as big and robust as this. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. Um, w- what I think we're seeing is the the White House is attempting to get ahead of a type of technology development, which is a, a wild thing to think about, right? Imagine if the White House decided to get ahead of cyber writ large or something along those lines. AI is not one particular technology. And frankly, AI has been going on in different ways for years. But artificial intelligence is now more than ever being built into everything that we do technologically. And there, there, there are plenty of advantages to it, right? It's, it's, a, 
It's a type of way of considering a problem and producing responses. And there's some amazing leaps that are happening with it. Uh, and the, the way that that tool set is enhancing technology is, is, is making rapid changes in, across a number of environments. So the White House has seen that. And they decided to try and set up a framework for future policy and legal development. They know that there is going to be additional work to do from a regulatory standpoint and from a legal uh, authorization standpoint. And they needed a way to wrap their arms around it enough that they could they could build on their uh, framework. So the, the AIEO is that. It is a... Uh, an attempt to kickstart a bunch of processes that will enable them to develop specific and bespoke policies that are hopefully attuned to various environments. Now, the AIEO itself covered everything from critical infrastructure, uh, AI, generative AI, um, data uh, that feeds and, and teaches AI, immigration reform uh, that would be necessary to make sure that the United States has the best possible workforce to continue to work on AI, to the government's use of AI, which is what, you know, AD, the Alliance for Digital Innovation cares about deeply, uh, and, and a bunch of other things. Um, some of the main standout pieces of the AIEO, I mean, for me, look, I've been concentrating on uh, what it what it kickstarts from a federal government standpoint. Um, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm looking at you guys for guidance. Which direction do you want me to go? I can talk more about the EO as a whole. I can talk about the OMB guidance that is going to follow on from that. I can talk about um, some of the interesting kind of quirky aspects of the EO as we see it. I mean, you tell me which way you want me to go. Willie? <laughs> so um, I, my personally, I would be curious in kind of the direction from like from an OMB standpoint, kind of what we're seeing from a guidance standpoint um and you know how is this going to you know really impact our our daily lives if that if that makes sense yeah sure. i'm curious to know if it has any teeth too i mean we get these eos all the time and they don't really go anywhere mm -hmm. right so it's a good question so i want to make sure that our listeners are, are are tracking so the executive order which is what joe biden signed had a section in it devoted to the pu the public sector consumption of artificial intelligence. It basically said, look, you, federal CIO, and a couple other folks in the administration, we need you to go and write some guidance and some rules to enable the federal government to consume it safely and securely. And it said, before you go do that, make sure that you take into two things into consideration. The, the AI that's could be safety impacting and the AI that could be rights impacting. And then it starts to talk about what that means and then tells OMB to go define it. So the AI executive order tasks OMB, uh, the Office of Management Budget, to put out guidance. And the Office of Management Budget released probably two weeks ago now um, a, a draft of that guidance for everybody in the world to comment on. And that guidance had a, a few sections to it. One, it talked about broad governance. And what it does is it says, look, we're, we're going to task every department and agency to set up, to, to appoint somebody who is well-trained, has background to be the chief AI officer of that agency. Everybody's got to find one. If you don't have one, go get one. 
Two, it says every CFO act agency. What that means is uh, every big department that you can think of. There's 24 of them, but the big ones, they all have to uh, set up a AI council. And those councils will be uh, chaired by the deputy secretary of those departments and agencies and co-chaired or vice chaired by the chief AI officer. So that's those are the top two people in those councils. And then they'll appoint some other folks from across the agency. So everybody from the HR, head of HR, the head of budget, the head of finance, the, you know, you name it, right? So the CIO, they're all going to be there. Then it turns around and says, okay, you've got your governance structures in place. Now you need to write a plan. So go look inside, tell me what's what what are you working on? Because AI has been around for a while. So what do you what do you have currently that is considered AI, right? Right? So is it a tool that uses AI to give you a result? Is it actual AI technology that you guys are leveraging to deliver your mission? Go do an inventory of that stuff and come back to us. And then from that inventory, we need you to develop a plan on how you're going to use AI going forward. And they, they caveat that with a proactive, we want you to use AI. We think it's a good thing that you use AI. AI, including generative AI, will be a net positive for us. But just don't just do not do it in a way that introduces safety risk or... Um, Privacy. Uh, it's broader than privacy. It's a, what was it? Safety rights, rights impacting risk. Mm-hmm. So and what I mean by, and I'll t- tell you about that in a second. So then it says, look, here are some examples of safety, safety and rights impacting AI. Safety impacting are things that, that, you know, could mess with water, could mess with, um, hospitals, could mess with, um, TSA related pipeline stuff. You know, you name it. That's, that's critical infrastructure type things. Traffic, transportation, airplanes, you know. Uh, and then it turns around and says, rights impacting are, you know, if you're going uh, to educational institutions and you've got to take a, a, an SAT test and there's AI and correlating statistics around that, like, mm-hmm. that's rights impacting. Voting, rights impacting. Things that are less harm to physical self and more harm to uh, potentially uh, leading to misinterpreted um, things that could be biased in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not doing it justice. I mean, the, the guidance has a list of things uh, to consider. Then underneath it, and again, I'm sorry if I'm taking too much time, but underneath it, it says, it's a big, it's a big, big series of guidance. It gives you, it says, all right, agencies, now that you've got your plan, now that you've got your people, now that you've got your counsel, we need you to run a process for every piece of AI that you either currently have in there or are going to bring in there to make sure that it doesn't impact these safety and, and uh, rights and uh, safety and rights that we're listing out. And you got to do this by basically doing a, a, a large assessment of it, documenting it, having somebody uh, review that documentation. You've got to run as close to live testing as possible. You've got to have human people factored into the decision-making engines. You've got to, you've got to train people to make sure that they're ahead of the AI as you're factoring it, right? Like they go through a laundry list of stuff that agencies have to do if they want to employ, uh, deploy, uh, purchase AI. There's a lot of stuff that remains to be um, spelled out, right? So I, I think that the guidance is a start. Um, but it, it's not very explicit and agencies are going to be looking around 
trying to figure out where to start. And, and frankly, it leaves a lot of autonomy for individual agencies to make individual decisions about processes. So for companies, uh, especially the companies in, in the Alliance for Digital Innovation, everybody is looking around and saying, oh, guys, we need to put a little bit more of a finer point on some of this stuff. Um, we need to use current governance mechanisms. Otherwise, we're going to be running around answering to, you know, 100 plus agencies, different interpretations of this memo. So that's where we are right now. And could I ask a, just a, a question thinking back to something you were saying earlier? So they're going to have to do this inventory. I, I'm I'm using it loosely, I guess, like a, an AI inventory of, of what they've got, you know. So how... So is it expected, uh, and, and I'm, I'm thinking of this more, you know, from a, a Donatrace perspective. So Donatrace, we, we've had AI built into our platform for, for many years now, and a lot of our agencies use that. I don't know how many, at that level, um, how many of our agencies know that, you know, core to Donatrace is, is kind of built on AI. Are, are we supposed, are, from an industry standpoint, are we supposed to be working with the agencies to try to make sure they understand where their AI is? That's a really good question. I mean, honestly, if I were using Dynatrace, I don't think I would think, oh, this is one of my AI technologies. Yeah. That's a great question. That is actually one of the questions we're posing back to OMB right now. Because look, there's a a core difference between uh, building in uh, chat GPT and functionality and using a tool to you know look across your enterprise at the different applications and potentially uh, manage the risk associated with them that uses inside of its engine uh, AI um, algorithms. So we don't know. And if if the ant let's let's pretend for a second that the answer is yes, that everybody's got to work together to figure out where there's AI. Is there a prioritization about who gets assessed first? What's the timing look like? What's the compliance actually look like to do that? How do you attest against it? Is are you guys uh, is is this something else that Dynatrace is going to have to pay for? Who's going to monitor it and validate it in the department and the agency? Your end users. So there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered, and we plan on raising as many of them as we can think of. Well, I'm glad to. You're, you're on our side there. I didn't. I, I hadn't even considered that until until we started talking about this. Yep, that's what we, that's what we do. Um, so look, I, I think I think in general, because look, we got to take a step back mm-hmm. and, and think about what this what they're saying. So they're saying two things at the same time. One, they're saying use AI first and foremost, which I am personally appreciative of. I think that it is good. That we have a government that is embracing AI and is and is hopefully going to put some resources around, it, right? Because all the stuff that's going to follow from this needs to be paid for somehow. This can't be just a, um, you know, a requirement without without the support from the government to meet the requirement. On the other hand, they're not real specific about how to get there, and that's going to cause a lot of confusion. So hopefully, it's not going to slow down the adoption of the tools and services that have AI, because frankly, we don't have the time to do that. We have people who are, well, you can take it from a bunch of different angles. People are, like I said at the beginning, people are bringing on uh, SaaS applications at a rapid clip. It is enabling people to do their jobs faster, better, uh, in a way that they couldn't before. Our, our, the citizenry of the United States is demanding a migration to uh, a digital environment for everything from, from service delivery to to 
protection of their homeland, everything in between, right? If it doesn't have an app, millennials, Gen Xers, Gen Zers aren't touching it, right? So it's, it's, we are moving quickly to a digital environment and you know, we need to, we need to make sure that we are managing everything in the enterprise that is interacting digitally, right? So I think for Dynatrace is a perfect example. We need observability of, of our new, newly architected cloud-based environments. We need to understand who's on there, what's on there, how it's interacting, how much, how much compute it's using, like everything you can need, need to read. And if all of a sudden you're introducing some risk and some, some, some nervous energy around using products that have been used for years uh, and a new compliance pathway that's not real well defined, I'm worried that it's going to create some friction where there wasn't friction before. So that's the, there's the good and then there's the, the potentially bad. We got to mitigate the potentially bad so that we can keep on using companies like Dynatrace in our environments and, and really kind of delivering the services that need to be delivered to the American people. So you made me think about um, rumors around AI, like some of the scarier, scarier things that people think about with AI. Um, let's talk about some of those rumors that we should stop spreading. So before I get into like specifics, I do want to I want to I want to delineate because I think this underpins it all between technology and the uses of technology. Mm. You can make technology that does incredible things. We are currently as a species making making technology that does incredible things. Mm -hmm. Our uses of technology and what we use those incredible new tools for is completely within our control. And even if that control is layered, right? Even if we empower a machine to make a decision to utilize technology, which is what the big scariness is, right? Are we going to have somebody push a button to do a sky, to, to shoot a missile? Right. We have the ability to say yes or no. We have the ability to say yes or no. Um, I forget who it was. There was somebody, one of the big companies, I think it was Brad Smith, uh, recently said, let's just build an off switch. And it's not that simple. But in a way, we need to think about the processes and how we're building our tools and technology around AI to make sure that we are considering that off switch. So as we layer more and more machine-based decision-making on top of each other, we need to think about the layering of that in ways where we have off switches all along the way that we can flip or and or um, make those chains happen in a way where it demands our attention. So to get back to your point, we can't afford to build systems where we are completely ignorant of them. And that's the big fear, I think. But it's completely within our power to to have those same dynamic, wonderful, incredibly fascinating technologies that are interacting with one another in a way that benefits the, hum the, the human race without blowing ourselves up. I think it totally is. <laughs> well, this and and look, I look forward to that environment. And we look, yeah. also, this is something I've said all the, I say all the time. We have been using AI for a very long time. Our data has changed and continues to change. We continue to put more and more data into algorithms. But Dy Dynatrace is a great example. You guys are an AI company. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Willie, but like you guys have been using it for a while now, no? 
Oh, yeah, for, for many years. We've had it built in. So I, I think... I think that we will continue to evolve the technology and not all AI is generative AI that mimics human thought. Mm -hmm. You know, AI does a lot of things behind the scenes that just makes it easier for us as humans to do what we want to do. And, you know, you you said something earlier that just kind of stuck with me, Ross, and, and just kind of delineating that, you know, that technology, that that actual physical, I guess, technology versus kind of the use and how we're and I'm I'm, I'm loosely uh, remembering what you said here. But um, one one thing that I I'm curious of your thoughts on and, you know, one of the problems I think I see from a technology standpoint is that um, we are now at a point where, you know, we're getting these advances at such a rate. What it seems like to me is that we are outpacing ourselves. Not that, you know, you know, building the all switch is great, but, you know, people don't seem to have the time and energy to actually just sit down and think through what is the meaning of this new technology? How is it going to impact my life? How is it going to, I mean, because these things take energy, it takes time. And when we had, you know, when technologies were happening, like on the, 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 you know, every 10 or 20 or 30 years or hundreds of years, you had time to think about, you know, uh, how's the steam engine going to impact, you know, um, industry. You had generations to, to kind of figure out the impact of these things. Now you've got hours before the next, sometimes it seems like before the next thing hits you on the news or on Twitter or X or whatever it's called today. I mean, it's, to your point, though, like when we had years to consider how the steam engine was going to affect us, mm-hmm. maybe some there were a lot of unforeseen impacts because of the steam engine, because mm-hmm. of industrialization that mm-hmm. we're just now realizing. Mm-hmm. And so to your point, Ross, build those off switches in. How do we know where to put the off switches? <laughs> No, look, I I hear you guys. And I don't know that there's a clean answer to that. But I do know that the intentionality is, I think, different than um, it was at the turn of the century when we were seeing rapid or turn of last century when we're seeing industrialization occur. Right. So having the having the conversation we're having now, it may or may not have happened. It probably did. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't know that it happened as widely. Uh, and as aggressively as it's happening right now. I mean, look, I think AI and the pace and, and, and churn of AI, quantum, the 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 evol- evolution of that. We didn't have an Office of Science and Technology Policy then. We do now, right? And I think that there's a reason for that. And I think that what we're seeing is the United States and other folks who are thinking about these things are, are trying to figure out ways to get their arms around it so, so that they build in a process to allow them to try and find where to put that off switch. And what I mean by that is it goes back to the question you asked me about the policy initially. What's in this policy? What's in this huge executive order? And what it is, is it's a, a series of systems. They're building in processes. Put in uh, an organizational structure that's going to review every single piece of this and think about it on the way through. Put in a series of stuff that acts as general guardrails for like, oh, wait, Am I going to put this piece of technology over the boiler that sits under the thing of my my you know secretary of the treasury? 
probably not a great idea, right? Like put through a series of uh, processes, a framework to think about it so that you can hopefully identify where you're building that off switch. And I think that that has to be the way that we approach things from now into nanotechnology, into quantum computing, and in between all those things. And that's different too than where we used to be. Mm. Do we have the experts in the industry? Nope. So AI is creating jobs for humans. Yeah, no, we're retraining current current humans, right? I think there's there's a, you know, we can talk about this for, for, for a long time, but there's there's a lot of concern about AI putting people out of work. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think I think AI is going to put people into places where they have to learn. They either have to learn the AI, learn about how to use new tools to do their job faster, better, quicker. They have to learn different skill sets to enable the AI, right? Like so, technology moves things into a different direction. Where people used to be horse and buggy drivers, they're now locomotive drivers. Same rules apply. Where they used to be mechanics that were, you know, or people that were shoeing horses on a regular basis, they are now repairing locomotive engines and understanding how steam uh, makes hydraulic engines turn, right? So, like, mm-hmm. we as a species are not going to put ourselves out of work. People are going to find time. And I mean, you got to think about how we exist as a culture. This is getting a little meta, I know, but like, we will not all of a sudden build enough technology where where Ross is going to go take a nap on the couch whenever he wants to. That's just not going to happen. I wish it was the case. That's what I want. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. People are still going to come to you, Carolyn, and say, Carolyn, this new um, completely computerized VR-enabled environment is a great place for us to have a Dynatrace discussion. Can you put it together for us, right? And you're going to have to figure out what that what that looks like and how it sounds and what it feels like in an environment that's completely digital. But yeah. they're still going to want you to do that because you have the, the wherewithal to curate that more than anybody else. All right, Willie, time's beaten us. Do you want to ask Ross any last questions? I actually am curious for Mr. Ross, what is your holiday Thanksgiving tradition? Do you have any any good traditions? So I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, and my favorite thing to do every Thanksgiving actually happens the day after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. where I take the turkey bones and I make a great stock and then I make a great gumbo. Turkey gumbo all the way, smells up the house, takes me hours, and it's one of the highlights of my year. So I, I might have to invite myself over and, <laughs> and you're from you're from Louisiana. I mean, we might watch some football, Alabama. Maybe. Um, <laughs> all right well you know willie i'm always looking for a good read so ross i mean other than 111 page executive orders what do you do, what do you read and or watch or listen to um i'm an avid podcast guy but i'll tell you the the book that i've been i, I listen i listen to everything i'm a te- i'm a terrible visual guy i try to listen to as much as i can um so I'm reading a book or listening to a book called Chip Wars uh, right now. Mm. And it is phenomenal. Chip uh, Wars, like C-H-I-P? C-H-I-P. And I'll tell you, if you give me a second, I'll tell you the author. Okay. One second. Chris Miller. Okay. Okay. And 
it is one of the the for anybody who thinks about technology it's important for us to remember how it's built and how it's being driven and chip wars the first half of the book takes you through the history of silicon valley its Mm. inception from transistors to microchips to the the things that that we're doing now around microchips then it takes you through the kind of the geopolitical progression to get to the supply chain that's global right now that we have and even kind of some of the current dialogue that's happening around chips today it is fascinating and and frankly taught me a lot about you know various types of chipsets and what underpins certain types of technologies and what you know what goes into the the servers that power the cloud spaces versus what's going into um, some of the systems that power AI and what the differences are and where they're made and how they're made. And it's just, it's fascinating. And it helps because you start to realize how it's all connected and how at the end of the day, you know, again, we're in control of our destinies, but we're still doing some crazy stuff. It's, 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 it's a level. So that's my, that's my recommendation for both. All right. And this fantastic. is the sad thing about, tech- I was going to say technology, I already bought it. Uh, so right i i was search engineing it while you were talking i'm like yep okay added to my kindle so there you go all right well thank you so much for spending time with us ross um we really appreciate it yep i'll come back whenever you want this is great um yeah okay be careful with what you offer (laughs) (laughs) thanks to dynatrace we're glad you guys are members of uh, the alliance for digital innovation we really value members and we appreciate your input well, thank you. And and thank you listeners for listening. Please smash that like button and share this episode. And we will talk to you next time on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. For more Tech Transforms, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. 